I could open your Bibles with me this morning to John chapter 10. And when you turn there, follow along with me as I read these first six verses. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter by the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs up by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Now, this story that Jesus tells is a story describing events that were very common and understood by the people of his day. They may be lost on us, but the people of the first century... Palestine understood how shepherds operated. They understood what a sheep pen or a sheep fold was. They, they knew how shepherds worked. And so Jesus tells them a story, and it's right in the middle of some events that are crucial in the unfolding of God's plan for our redemption. They're crucial in the life of Christ. Because the Pharisees are in, a, in an argument, in a debate, trying to figure out who he really is. And so it's in the middle of this debate that Jesus tells this story. They frankly don't have a clue what he's talking about. Why are you telling us about shepherds and sheep pens and how shepherds function? I mean, that's, his, that's their question. And... This occurs between two events that actually, from a human standpoint, sealed his fate. These two events were the deciding factors that caused the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rulers of Israel to decide that he had to die. The first one occurs in chapter 9, and it's right on the heels of this that he tells the story. In chapter 9, a man who was born blind receives a sight. Sure, that'd be great. Um, a man who is born blind receives a sight. And in chapter 11, Lazarus, who has died four days earlier, is raised from the dead. These are two dramatic miracles. Whoever heard of a man born blind coming to see in his adulthood. But even more, who ever heard of a man who was dead for four days and buried, coming out of the tomb? And it's in the middle of this that Jesus tells this story. And the reason he tells the story in this context is, he wants the Pharisees and the religious leaders to understand that they would not have the struggle they're having figuring out who he is, if they understood the relationship that exists between God and his people. If they had a relationship with him, 
they would know the answer to their dilemma. And so it's the relationship that Jesus is describing in this passage. And as he tells the story, he explains a common scene that he is now going to apply to his relationship with his own people. He tells the story of shepherds. Now, that's also lost on us because we don't see this every day in our lives. How many, when's the last time you saw a flock of sheep? Anybody seen a flock of sheep? Okay. The second Tuesday of last week? The second Tuesday of last week? Was there two Tuesdays last week? Okay. All right. And where were they? They were probably in a fenced enclosure somewhere, right? Because we have fences now. But back in those days, they didn't fence the whole, you know, Mideastern desert. What they did was the shepherds would take their individual flocks and they would go out into the hillsides, out into the countryside, and they would take their family flocks to pasture. They would find them places to to feed, places to drink. They would make sure that they were cared for during the day. But at night, it only made sense to bring everyone together in order to better secure and protect the sheep. If you're one lone shepherd and you've got the the family flock, which may be anywhere from a half a dozen to 20 or 30 or more sheep, and you're out by yourself in, in the countryside, and night comes, all the wild animals come out looking for food, and you're exposed. And so at nighttime, the shepherds would come together, and usually they would have a place that they would kind of designate And all the shepherds would work together to build a sheep fold or a sheep pen. They would use rocks, they would use brush, sticks, whatever they could cut down and find. And they would create an enclosure that uh, sometimes would be 8 to 10 feet tall. And if they were available on the very top rung, the top portion of it, they would put thorny bushes that they had uh, collected. And those thorns would be a deterrent to any animal trying to crawl over or any thief trying to steal the sheep. And in this enclosure, they would leave an opening three, four, five feet wide. And that opening was the only opening in the entire sheep pen. And all the shepherds would bring their sheep to that area and they would lead them in. And by the way, In Psalm 23, when David says, he anoints my head with oil, David is seeing God as his shepherd. And he talks about anointing his head with oil. This is when, at the end of the day, when the shepherd would bring his flock to the sheep pen, that he would inspect them one by one as they went in through the gate. And if they had injured themselves, or had some kind of bruising or damage from the day or whatever, that's when the shepherd would tend to their needs, maybe put oil on the wounds. It's a beautiful picture that David gives us of the father caring for his flock, one by one. And the shepherds would lead their flocks into the sheep pen, and then they would take turns during the night, sitting in the opening on watch duty while the others got some rest. And so Jesus tells the story about this 
regular happening. But he's going to relate it to himself and his relationship with his people. And in the midst of that, he reveals to us the nature of a relationship with him that leaves no doubt as to who he is. And that's what the Pharisees were lacking. So having described this, he says therefore to them again in verse 7, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly or have it to the fullness. So Jesus, and by the way, he changes his role twice in this story. So so you have to pay attention here. But Jesus, first of all, says to to these Pharisees, you want to know who I am? The sheep pen is the house of Israel. The sheep pen are the true people of God. I am the gate. Everyone that comes into God's family, anyone that becomes his flock, comes through me. If you try to come in any other direction, if you try to come up by any other way, that person is a thief and a robber. And... Those people only have a desire to abuse the flock. He's talking about the Pharisees. (laughs) They only have a desire to abuse the flock. But he said, I am the door of the sheepfold. No one comes unless they come by me. And, And although this is not the focus of my point this morning, I want us to be reminded, because it's a good time every time we land on it, to remember Jesus is the only door of the sheep. They clearly understood in those days that a sheep pen had one door and one gatekeeper, one watchman. There was only one person sitting there. Jesus says the only way legitimately into this family, into this flock, is by me. There is no other way. Later on in the same uh, section of John, as the story goes on, he says, I am the way, both the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father unless he comes by me. That was hard for the, for the Jewish leaders to hear. It's hard for people to hear today. We, we want to water that down. We want to weaken it some way. But Jesus makes it plain. The only way to be one of my sheep is to come through my gate. I am the only way into the family of God. And friends, when we talk about having a relationship with God, which is where I'm dwelling this morning in, in point, When we talk about having a relationship with God, the very first thing we must make certain of is that we have come through the only gate to God, who is Jesus Christ. He's the only doorway. He's the only way into the sheepfold. And then he goes on to explain the analogies. He goes further. In verse 11 he says, I am the good shepherd. Now here, he's changing the image of himself just a little bit. In the first comparison, he says, I'm the door. Now, each of the shepherds took turns being the door. They all through the night took their turn at watch. And so, in the first analogy, Jesus says, I'm the way in, I'm the way out. But now, he transitions a little bit and he says, I am the good shepherd. All the the shepherds who participated in that sheepfold would come in the morning There was one person left on watch. All the others had been uh, getting some rest. But they would come in the morning 
to the sheep pen to get their flocks individually. And so the watchman would make sure that he knew it was his group of shepherds, everybody there, he knew, and he knew who they were, and he knew that their interest was for their own flock. He, no one else would gain access to the sheep pen. The second thing is, is that the, sh- the good shepherd would come for his sheep, and as we learn in the passage, he would call them by name. Let's read. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 12, the hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep, so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Listen to the relationship points. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Jesus is automatically answering the Pharisees' question. If you were mine, you would know who I am. I know my sheep. My sheep know who I am. Then he says, Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. John is the one who told us that in beginning, Jesus was face to face with the Father. That he was in a communion with the Father that was intimate and personal and face to face. And he says, I know my sheep and they know me like I know the Father and the Father knows me. We are close. And then he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep who are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. Now he's speaking to Pharisees and to to Jewish people, but he's telling us already Gentiles will be a part of this sheepfold. I'm going to bring Gentile sheep into this flock. They're going to be a part of it. And even though they're not of this fold that you recognize, I have them, and they too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. That makes it pretty clear, doesn't it? One family and one shepherd. And then he says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. Only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This command I have received from my fathers. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? First, Jesus says, I'm the gate. Now he says, I'm the good shepherd. Do you remember in that story about Goliath when David shows up at the battlefield and he hears the taunts of Goliath and he's wondering why everyone else is standing around, you know, with their hands in their pockets and their head down saying, you know, what are we going to do about Goliath? David says, well, we're going to go fight him. And they made fun of him. And he said, I'll take up the challenge. And Saul basically says to him, who are you? I mean, he was about 12 or 13, 14, I don't know, somewhere along there. 
most of the families would assign the responsibility of the flock to the youngest member of the household, usually the youngest male if there was one. There were shepherdesses, but most of the time they were the young males in the family, the youngest one. And that was true with David. He was the youngest of all of his brothers. They were the warriors out on the battlefield. David was with the sheep. Now, that is not to say that it was an unimportant duty. In fact, it was a very important duty. But it was a duty that could be handled by a faithful 12 or 13 or 14 year old who was responsible. And in those days, they were responsible. <laughs> they had to be because the family depended on that. The older ones were already doing other things to provide into the family and to earn income, but the youngest one would often care for the sheep. But those sheep represented some of the wealth of the family, some of the equity. They represented food. They represented clothes. They represented monetary trading potential. And caring for the sheep was not only a personal kind of thing, but it was a survival kind of thing. And Jesus explains in the passage that a hired hand is not going to make a great sacrifice. If, you just, if you're an hourly wage worker, and, and you're out there, and the sheep are threatened, and it might jeopardize your well-being to protect them, you're going to run. But Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd who lays down my life. And you remember David saying to Saul, well, here's who I am. One time I was caring for my father's sheep and a lion came. And I took him on. And another time a bear came. And I handled him. I confronted him. And God gave me strength. Can you imagine a young teenage fella taking on a bear and a lion? But David said, I was willing to do that to protect the sheep. And I tested God and I learned that he is faithful. And so Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And I'm willing to put my life on the line for the flock. I'm willing to pay the price for their lives. And in fact, he did just that very thing. We just celebrated the time of the Lord's table when we're reminded that Jesus paid for us with his own life. Peter reminds us that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but you were redeemed with the blood of a lamb without spot or blemish. That Jesus Christ paid a price that was priceless. The imperishable and glorious blood of his, of his own life that He shed for us. He died for us. And this is the relationship. And then Jesus goes on to, to deepen that as He extends His discussion. Verse 22, The Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem is winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade, and the Jews gathered around Him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. 
Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. But you do not believe because you're not my sheep. In other words, their problem was a relationship problem, not an intellectual problem, not an understanding problem. They had a relationship problem. They saw the miracles. They saw the man born blind. In, in, in chapter 9, when the Pharisees have grilled this poor fellow that was blind from birth, now he sees. Isn't this an amazing thing? Even his own parents won't stand up for him. Because they don't want to be put out of the synagogue. You go back and read the ninth chapter sometime this week and check it out. You know, just John chapter 9. Go, go read it sometime this week. Follow the story. His own parents. I mean, this is a guy born blind. Now he sees. And they even bring his parents in and say, is this your kid or not? I mean, come on. No, this doesn't happen to anybody. And they said, this is most certainly our son. How he got his sight, we have no idea. Because the scripture says they did not want to testify to Christ, lest they be put out of the synagogue. And, and so they're grilling this poor man. And, and finally, they say to him, look. You, you've got to be one of his disciples, one of his followers. What's all this stuff you're feeding us? We don't know who he is. And the man says this. This is an amazing thing. I was born blind and now I see. And you don't have a clue who this man is. He says no one who's a sinner can do these kind of works for God. In fact, from the history of the beginning of the world, I've never heard of anyone born blind receiving their sight in full. And you, the religious leaders, don't have a clue who he is. In essence, he was saying, how can you be so stupid? He has to be a godly man. That's his conclusion. Now, these Pharisees, they don't know who he is. I told you plainly. And the miracles speak for themselves. But you see, they cannot see because they don't have a right relationship. That's what's blinded them. It's not that the, that the truth isn't obvious in front of them. It's that they don't have a relationship with God that illuminates their understanding in a way that they can perceive spiritual truth. And Jesus said, I did tell you, and you didn't believe. And the miracles speak for me, and you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them, they follow me, I give them eternal life, they will never perish, no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now, he couldn't have made, made it more plain. But in the midst of that, verse 27, he makes this profound statement. My sheep, Hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. I've been working on this for a while, but last week I sort of began in earnest. And one of the things I did was I used my, my Greek computer study Bible to, to sort out all the words in the Greek New Testament that have to do with the word, word. And what word underlies it? Some of you have heard the, the terminology of logos and rhema. You've probably heard it from me. But maybe you don't remember. But uh, in the Greek, there are two words that are translated word, logos and rhema. And the, the possibility is that rhema 
is the dynamic, living, immediate, spoken word, whereas logos can certainly be entirely true. It can be the word of God, but it is the word that we find, for example, in the scriptures. This is the logos of God from Genesis to Revelation. It is the word of God. Every word in here comes from God. It is absolute, true truth. But when God is speaking in the present tense, at least the the investigation is, is that the rhema word, the, the spoken word of God in the moment? And all of you have had the experience, I'm sure, of reading your Bible someday, and the, the Word, as it were, comes to life. It leaps from the page. It touches your heart. And the written Word in that moment is spoken to you by the living God and becomes to you the living and active Word of God. So that is my study that I'm going into. And I began to ask myself the question in this whole study that we've been doing on prayer, how do we hear the voice of God? How do we know when God is speaking? How do we know that the voice speaking to us is God's voice? And Jesus answers the question in John 10, 27, when he says, my sheep, Hear my voice. The, the word there can be translated listen to. But the point is that my sheep know me. Now, when the shepherd, going back to the story, when the shepherd would come in the morning to the door of the sheep pen where the watchman sat, he would verify that, yep, that's one of our shepherds. <laughs> And then the shepherd would come into the doorway of the sheep pen. And when they came together at night, all the flocks got mixed up. They, they just all, you know, ran together. They didn't keep them separated. They didn't need to. And here's why. Because when the shepherd would come to the door of the sheep pen, he would call his own sheep by name, one by one. Isn't that amazing? Do you, do you hear the personal, intimate relationship, shepherd to sheep, in this story? They called them by name. I'm not making this up. This is literally the way they did it for thousands of years in the Middle East. The sheep knew the shepherd's voice. Two things are true here. He knew their name. They knew his voice. Jesus said they will not listen to the voice of another, even though the other one calls their name also. They know the voice of the shepherd. And they know when he is calling their name. And very simply, when they heard their name called by the shepherd, they would get up and come to the shepherd. And that way he would call all his sheep by name. Five of them, if it was five. Twenty of them, if it was a hundred. <laughs> that could take a while. He would call them all by name. They would come to him. 
And however shepherds did it, he would say something like, let's go now. And they would follow him. And he would take them out for the day. Maybe a long distance from the other shepherds. He would find pasture that he had already searched out. He would take them to streams where they could drink and pools of water. He would care for their needs. And they followed him because... They knew his voice. He knew their name. They followed the shepherd. Jesus says, this, this, this is not debatable. This is not open for assessment. This is not something we can sit around and, you know, theorize about. He makes a statement. My sheep hear my voice. They know me. And I know them. And I call them by name, and they follow me. There is a relationship that exists. And as I have been working through this study on prayer and in many other areas of our life, but prayer is essentially the, the verbal portion of that relationship with God whereby we are talking with Him and He is talking with us. The answer to the question, how do I hear God, is it's God's problem. It's God's problem whether or not you hear Him. And what He says is, my sheep hear my voice. So if you don't hear the voice of God this morning, the very first question you have to ask, and, and I, I'm sorry to have to put this to a group of people that, you know, I know you, you know me, we've known each other a while for the most part, but here's the reality. If you never hear the voice of God, the first question you must ask is, do I know Him? Do I know the Savior? Do I know the Shepherd? Does He know my name in that salvation sense? You need to assess that. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. He says, examine yourselves. Do you not know that you are, that the Holy Spirit is living in you unless you're still in your sins? Examine yourselves. And we ought to do that. And if you never hear the voice of God, the first thing that you need to ask is, do I know the shepherd? Am I born again? Does the Spirit of God live inside of me? You have to answer that question. Now, maybe you go this morning back in your memory and you recall when you met Jesus. You need to reevaluate that decision. And you say, I remember the day. I was convicted of my sin. I knew that I was lost and I knew that I was going to spend eternity separated from God in, in hell. And I was burdened down and weighed down and I needed an answer and I knew that Jesus was my answer. And, and I remember asking Him to forgive my sin and I remember asking Him to give me eternal life and to save me and to change me. And if you did that with sincerity and faith, the first thing you probably heard from God was, the sense of being overwhelmingly clean, of being cleansed. Because that's the first thing that God speaks 
in those early moments, almost everyone testifies to that sense of being clean, of being forgiven, of having the slate wiped clear, of being in right relationship with God, and, and the witness of the Holy Spirit that says, I am a child of God. And if you go back in your memory and you go to that moment in time and you recall, yes, that happened to me. Yes, I did that. I know for a fact that I have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, because I repented of my sins. I took Him as my Savior. I accepted His payment for me and I turned my life over to Him. And I know that that happened. Then I have a couple of other thoughts for you to consider as to why you may not be hearing the voice of God. The psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. Another translation of the Hebrew phrase there is cease striving. In other words, settle down. Get quiet. Listen to God. Friends, we live in a day that our lives are crowded with busyness. And I know people that are never quiet. They've got the radio on in the car. They've got the CD thing going. They've got something plugged into their ears all the time that they're not around one that plays in the environment. They've got the environment between their ears. They're always listening to stuff. They're always talking. They're always busy. They're always going. They, they go from the time they get up till the time they go to bed and they never stop. And they're worried and they're, they're churning and they've got things going on in their lives and all these kinds of things. And, and the scripture says, stop. Stop. Be still and know that I am God. When Elijah was running from Jezebel in fear, looking for a place, he had had a powerful experience with God. And, and now she has put the fear of death into him, not the fear of God, because he, he knew God, but it was fear of death. And he got a lost vision temporarily. And he's on the run, and he comes to this cave, and the Scripture says there was a whirlwind, and there was a storm, and there was all these things happening, but God was not in the noise. And then when everything got quiet, out in a cave in the middle of the desert, in the stillness, there came a still, small voice. Not small in the sense of importance or significance or power, but in the sense of volume. A quiet voice. And God spoke to him. And if you don't hear the voice of God, and you know that you know that you're one of His sheep, then it could be that your life is cluttered, busy, constantly noisy, that you have too much going on, that you are not hearing the voice of God because you're not taking time to listen to Him. Friends, I, I'm not going to give you a formula for that because you and God have to hammer that out on your own. I don't care if you have a quiet time in the morning. I don't care if you have it at night. I don't care if you take a walk. 
in the woods at lunchtime. I don't care if you go sit at a fountain. I don't care if you go in a room and close the door. I don't care if you get up before everybody else in the household and find a quiet place and a cup of tea. I, I don't care how you hammer it out with God, but this I know. You need to give God a chance to speak to you. He has things He wants to say. And if you're not hearing them, it could be because you're not listening and giving Him a chance to speak. Because He tells us, I call my sheep. I speak to them. With my voice, I speak to them. And God will talk to you. It may not be verbal, probably won't be verbal. If you do get a verbal word, would you come tell me about it? I'd, I'd, I'd really like to hear about that. But it, it, it will probably be in your mind, in your heart. Sometimes with me, I don't even connect a voice with a word that comes to my spirit. And I know that God has given me something. It has life. It ha- I can't explain it, but I know the voice of my Master. And I know He's spoken. And it's, it's in my heart. There's another reason why you may not be hearing the voice of God. And I, and I want to be careful not to be too literal about this or too legalistic about this. But another reason could be that God has spoken to you and you have not listened to Him in the sense of following or obeying. I'm not going to tell you that God will never say another word to you unless you have obeyed the last one. Because God is very kind and gracious and He continues to deal with us and work with us. But if your life, if you're struggling and you need clarity in your life and you're not getting clarity, maybe you need to go back and say, God, did I miss something somewhere? Did you tell me something that I did not follow? Because if you're ignoring Him, He has a tendency to wait until you go back to that moment and say, I need to get this straight, God. I need to move on in the path that You're directing me. I I need to come back and get back in the way. You know, the, the image that came to my mind as I was thinking about this is here's the shepherd. He comes to the sheep pen uh, he calls his sheep. They all follow him. You follow him. We get up. We head out the path. The shepherd says, follow me. Let's go find pasture. And you head off down this way. And this bush attracts you. You know, and you hear the shepherd say, come on, come on. And, and you think, I, I think I could eat the leaves of this bush. I think I'll just stay here and munch. You don't have, it could be poison for all you know. And the shepherd takes the flock on down the path and turns the corner and heads into a canyon. And you don't hear the voice anymore. You don't hear the bleating of the other sheep. You kind of lost contact with the flock because something caught your eye along the way and you thought you could stop and enjoy that. And, and the shepherd is faithful. You know, when he looks up and sees you not there, he will come back. He will come back for you. 
and he will look for you. And his word to you will be, follow me. Take your eyes off of that and follow me. And if you're not paying attention, there isn't a whole lot else for him to say. There's no new adventure. There's no exciting discovery. There's no new direction because you got sidetracked along the way and you're focused on something that caught your eye. And the shepherd is saying, follow me. And you're not hearing anything else. Because you're not following. And so I want to challenge you this morning. A lot of the struggles that we have, people debate, does God speak to us today? There are whole groups, there are whole denominations that will argue that with you. But Jesus' answer is, my sheep hear my voice. God does speak today. He has a rhema for you. I'm going to work through that in time to come. But God has a rhema for you. He has a word for your life. He wants to talk to you. He wants to be in relationship. How can you have a relationship with someone you never talk to, never hear from? God calls us into relationship, a shepherd with his sheep. If you don't hear him, make sure you know him. Make sure you know him. Secondly, if you know that you know him and you don't hear him, Are you giving him time to speak? Stop the busyness and the clutter of your life and be still so that you can connect and know that he is God. And three, if you know that you know him and you're giving him time to talk, but you're still getting static. Why don't you ask him, did you tell me something that I have ignored? I'm ready to hear it now. I'm ready to listen. I want to follow you. Because if you're in a right relationship with the shepherd, and you're giving him time to talk, and you're following him day by day there's no question about him speaking into your life on a regular basis my sheep hear my voice I know them they follow me and I give them eternal life Father open our eyes and our hearts To be listeners, that in relationship with you, we might follow you in all that you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.